Are you an early stage founder revolutionizing the future of retail? Then you're in the right place. My name is Sapna Shah, and I'm an angel investor investing at the pre-seed and seed stage in retail tech, e-commerce, marketplaces, and consumer. I'm also the founder of RetailX Series, an ecosystem to help early stage founders in the retail and consumer sectors. RetailX Series includes events, a YouTube channel, a Slack community, resources for founders, and this podcast. In this podcast, I interview founders, investors, and experts in the retail space, and we dig deep into the tactics around key topics that early stage founders want to hear about. Welcome to the RetailX Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the RetailX Series Podcast. I'm your host, Sapna Shah. In today's episode, we'll be talking all about Amazon. Should early stage founders sell on Amazon? How to do it successfully? What potential pitfalls to look out for? And more. Our guest today, Annalisa DeMarta, founded and scaled a children's brand on Amazon and is the founder of Ridgeline Insights, an agency focused on helping brands succeed on the Amazon platform. Welcome to the podcast, Annalisa. Thank you so much, Sapna. I'm so excited to be here and share my story. Great. I'm excited to talk about this. This is a topic that is very near and dear to many early stage founders' hearts, and they're not quite sure, I think, many times how early they should start with Amazon, when they should do it, how to be successful. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. So let's start with a little bit more about you and your background. Maybe tell us a little bit about who you are, the brand that you actually launched on Amazon, and then how Ridgeline Insights grew out of that. Yeah. So like most e-commerce sellers, we all start from our garage. And I was one of those people. I mean, grad school, I finished school in 2008, 2009 when the stock market crashed and there wasn't a lot of finance jobs. And I had a friend that had a bookstore and was like, do you want to sell some books on? At the time, Amazon was mostly a bookseller. And I was like, sure, I'll do Amazon and eBay. And then from there, I just kept learning how the marketplaces work, learned about merchandising, started working with like other types of products, realizing that books and especially where I was doing rare books, they weren't scalable. And so over time, I just kept reinvesting the profits into the business and growing this. And I was a third-party reseller for many years, which is where you'd buy products wholesale from different vendors and would sell them on the Amazon marketplace. And as Amazon was gaining popularity, I had a lot of questions about cause and effect and I didn't have a controlled environment. And so Lone Cone was the brand that I founded, but it was really formed out of necessity. Like I, I needed to just say, if I did this thing, what would be the outcome? And so opportunistically found this product by my own experiences. And I was like, well, I'll try this as a test sandbox. And that product ended up taking off. And then simultaneously, as we're working with clients, realizing that Amazon is super important. So helping brands develop their strategies. And so running Lone Cone and the agency tandem, and then eventually Lone Cone uh, became very successful. And I was fortunate to uh, have a recent acquisition of that brand. But so it's been nice just to kind of refocus again, back on just agency and client services. But yeah, that's a little bit about my background. It's been all Amazon for many years. (laughs) Great. So you're the perfect person to talk to and let's get into it. Okay. So as I mentioned, a lot of founders come to me and they, we do talk about, is Amazon a good channel? When should you do it in your evolution? All of those kinds of things. And I think a lot of early street brands historically have been a little nervous about putting their brands on Amazon to begin with. So I guess let's start with why you think Amazon could be important for early stage brands. Amazon is the world's largest marketplace, right? Everything you want on Amazon is there. And so it's, if anything, a marketing opportunity, you have every high-end brand down to a pack of big pens. So putting your brand on there and positioning yourself really well could absolutely help your D2C strategy, or if you're doing a wholesale strategy, it's just one more consumer touch point and a way to just educate consumers about your product mix. 
Yeah, I think even more so, you probably know the stat more than me, but some very high percentage of product searches don't start on Google, they start on Amazon. Yeah, um, almost like 78% or something. Yeah. Extremely high, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so we know it's important to be there. Now thinking about an early stage brand who, you know, and when I say early stage, a pre-seed to seed, maybe even before pre-seed, maybe a bootstrap brand. Once they've decided that Amazon is right for them, what are next steps they need to take to make Amazon a successful channel? I think there's a couple of things at play, but the two things I like to think of is where does your product fit on the Amazon marketplace? Like when we work with clients and typically my clients are household branded names, they already come to us with a little bit of brand equity. So that's helpful for like search volume of just people are looking for your product. But if you are just starting out, you might not have that branded search available to you. So I would really think about, so someone's going to buy your product at seven o'clock on a Thursday night. What are those top of funnel keywords they're going to type in to find you? What do you think you're most relevant in? And for example, with Lone Cone, our biggest product was children's rain boots. So it would be search terms like kids' rain boots, children's rain boots, toddler boots, that, that really upper level of search. And I would look at the search results and I would say, where do I fall in? And I would keep, you know, people often look at the product, but your pricing is just as important. So Amazon's the marketplace where price isn't everything, but it's very hard to sell somebody something if you're a $99 price point and all of your competitors are at 70 you have to do a lot of value add to make that $30 jump. So the search terms you're looking at probably aren't relevant. So I really think about your keyword relevancy and where are you going to fit in? And do you have the right to win in that, in that initial search? The second part of it is, and it's any good marketing, is really understanding who your customer is. What's, what are their concerns? Not so much features. I was talking about the emotional side of marketing is like, what is that customer's pain point? What are you trying to solve? And how does your product fit in against your competitive sets? So when you do that search term analysis, you look at the first few pages of, honestly, the first five results is very telling. Look at that and say, what are the, what are those, what are they selling? And why are you better? Why are you the same? Why are you different? And those are things you need to be answering both in your product design and your product detail page in order to be successful, just starting out. And, and do you think that particularly for younger brands who are maybe selling also on their own like DC channel, could the customer there on Amazon be different than the customer that's coming to their website? I think it's still the same person, right? It's the person that's buying infant car seat or a coffee mug. That same person is going to find you in both platforms. I think there is a the Amazon shopper is a lot more used to the Amazon experience. So conversion is going to be a heck of a lot easier. You're not having to do a lot of selling to get them to convert on your website. So I think that's probably the unique selling factor to being on Amazon. It's just, you have that platform of shoppers that come ready to purchase as opposed to your website, you're trying to convince them to purchase. Right. And what about kind of one of the things I think a lot of kind of Amazon experts talk about is the importance of reviews and getting reviews on your product pages. Talk a little bit about how brands can do that, particularly in the early days and how they can incentivize reviews and what those reviews should look like. Yeah. Well, I'd also take this one step back and just thinking about people listening who are just starting out, especially if you're going after funding, that social proof, that's just one more tool in your toolbox when you're pitching somebody, right? You're like, look at what these customers said about my product. And it's such a great space because it's also an opportunity for you to strengthen your product. So perhaps you had a terrible launch. I mean, I've certainly had a couple of major failures that came up across as reviews. 
And I really learned in the manufacturing how to tighten those things up. I think your reviews are a great opportunity for you to understand your customer better. But of course, we all read those reviews. And what do we do? We look at the one star right away. So what is that one star telling us? Is it that it failed? Did it not meet your expectations? Those could be very easy fixes. So I think right out of the gate, having a good review strategy. And Amazon's been a lot more helpful in recent years. So there's different incentives on the back end of Seller Central. For a few dollars, you can enroll in Vine and get your first six reviews. They'll actively solicit customers for you. But then review solicitation beyond that is a gray area. Amazon really likes to keep it very pure and not have sellers try to persuade for five-star reviews, but it happens. So if anything, if uh, I always like, depending on your product, if you could put some sort of really nice printing inside that just is a customer service thing, or maybe your brand story. With Loan Cone, we had a mom advisory panel, which we did a just we had a, once a month, a group of parents would get together and we would do different product reviews or help us look at our Christmas holiday page or there's different ways of engaging them. But that just made us stand out. It was like, oh, what is this way you're trying to connect with me? It's not asking me for a review. It's not a coupon. It's this other thing to talk about, which I think also made us come across as a little bit more of a serious brand or a real company, if you will, take us a little bit better. And we ended up getting great reviews from that. The people were impressed that we were acting actively soliciting consumer feedback. So reviews are everything. Do what you can to get them up there. But you can, in order to get really great conversion, I think at least 20 reviews out of the gate is the biggest things. Before you make these substantial advertising investments, try to get a couple of reviews under your belt just to help you know you continue to sell better products. That's really helpful. And I think having a kind of a number to shoot for is also helpful. So what about, you mentioned advertising, you talked about keywords, how else are you driving consumers to your products on Amazon? I think there's a number of things, but the biggest way, especially with, I think more D2C brands is social media. And Amazon is a place where outside traffic is rewarded. So Amazon's got their A10 algorithm and they won't disclose how they prioritize certain factors, but it's like low return rate, high rates of conversion in stock. Are you shipping via FBA prime? But an outside traffic is one of those metrics that they look at. So Amazon loves it if you're sending them additional. So I would, if you can, PR is always great, but there's nothing better than how many TikTok videos or Instagram ads, or have you seen where someone's like, try this lipstick, look at my hair, look at my phone case. And you're like, I need that. That doesn't work for everybody. So it's really going to depend on the product. But I think in the majority of consumer search, yeah, I think if you can get that real person, authentic review, and we would do that really low budget. I would find social media influencers that were just passionate about the brand that had maybe seven or 8,000 followers. So it wasn't this 2 million plus, like we're paying for the ad. It was just like some mom who was like, hey, I'll pay you in free rain boots. Would you mind snapping a few photos and posting about us? And they were so happy. Um, and then continually rewarding them and they love seeing their kids being tagged on our posts. So I think there's definitely an opportunity for social media to continue to grow your brand both on and off Amazon, but that's really one of the fastest ways is trying to harness the power of social. And this is actually, maybe there's no good answer to this, but this is actually a real question. So if you're also trying to grow your own channel and your own website, and you're trying to grow your Amazon business, like how do you balance that? Because you might want to send that Instagram traffic to your own website and not to, to your products on Amazon. How would you suggest founders think about that? Margin. I feel it's just like anything else you're doing. You're only going to be great at one channel. So pick the channel you're having the most success with and really prioritize that. 
but I also, you want to make money in the process. So I, I really would encourage people to look at what is your fulfillment cost for your D2C site? What are you gaining? What do you understand the lifetime value of your customer? And where is that better playing out? Amazon doesn't share customer metrics. So that's going to be a, it could be a, a big problem if you're trying to grow an email list, if you're trying to do some sort of subscription service. So I think you need to take all those factors into consideration. And if your D2C site, or if you have other wholesale distribution, that's more popular, you can do things on Amazon to dissuade customers from shopping, but still be present. So for example, a higher price is an easier way to, if you're $79 on your Shopify site, but $99 on Amazon, yeah, then customers are obviously going to choose to convert on your Shopify site, or they're going to pay the premium and convert on Amazon. But I, I really think that trying to understand where you fall financially is probably the the number one driver for me running my business just to, I would want to know how much I'm making. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you alluded to this, but I think fulfillment is always a big concern for early stage founders doing their own fulfillment. Like you said, in the beginning, you're doing fulfillment out of your like apartment or your house yeah. or your garage. What advice do you have in terms of fulfillment for early stage brands on Amazon and on their own channels? Like kind of what have you learned? Amazon Prime is everything. It's still everything. Even in a post-pandemic environment, that, that Prime badge of knowing you're getting your product in two days, it's going to show up reliably, means the world. So do what you can to get your best-selling products to, to stay consistently in stock with Prime. Um, and that might mean you have to make some sacrifices in terms of pricing. So sometimes Prime is less expensive, sometimes it's more expensive. But really, again, it's going to come back to that margin question of how much room do you have? And the other thing with Amazon fulfillment that's changed, well, the beautiful part about it is that it is scalable, right? So I can send in three case packs of 12, or I can send in 300 case packs of 12. So I really like that from just like, I don't have to worry about this third-party warehouse, how much space do they have? But Amazon also will ding you on storage. So it's, again, going to come back to how much are you making and how long your product's sitting there. So it's Amazon's not the place where you send it in and hopefully it sells in a year. It's like, no, you need to be on top of your inventory, which is which you should be doing anyway, as, a, as anyone selling products. So I think it reinforces those good behaviors. The second piece of the fulfillment, and it takes a little while, is finding a good fulfillment backup. So some third-party warehouse. I don't recommend garages anymore, but you know, <laughs> that, for some people, I think we saw in the pandemic when Amazon really put a bunch of constraints on sending in inventory and shipping out inventory, that having that backup fulfillment strategy is crucial. So I think as you start to have a little bit of success in the back of your mind, you say, okay, how can I protect at least my best-selling products? And if you're also trying to have an omni-channel distribution strategy where you want to be on your website at Amazon, and maybe you're also doing wholesale as well, having that third-party warehouse is going to be a key part of that strategy as well. So yeah, I would try to prime and have a good backup. So it's interesting because I think everything that you're kind of getting to is this very deep understanding, which may not be so possible super early, but of getting a very deep understanding of your cost structure, your ability to get product to a consumer, no matter what that channel is, and understanding where your margins are and where what success looks like, which I think can be really hard in those early days. And very quickly, I think you can lose track of those things. I mean, is there something you would recommend? Cause you talked about just now this kind of a brand that's selling on Amazon, they're selling on their own website, they're selling wholesale, maybe to physical stores, maybe to other online marketplaces. How do you suggest that 
founders keep on top of all of this because it's not just the inventory, but it's also the data, the cost, I mean, the costs, knowing your margins, all of that. When we first started doing this, it was an Excel spreadsheet. So Amazon can give you an export, but I guess I'm just a firm believer and you should absolutely know your numbers. Like it's a non-negotiable to me running a product-based business. There's definitely a time when you're early days and or new product launch, you are selling your product at a break-even. And I think if you're seeking outside investment into your company, I mean, that'd be the first thing I'd want to know as an investor is what are you making? What's my return and how long is it going to take? And Amazon is a long-term play. It, I have found, and it sounds really hard to say this, but it takes about three years to be a really good product on the Amazon marketplace. By that point, you maybe have, I don't know, three, 4,000 reviews. You've gone through enough manufacturing cycles to have perfected it. You've gone through different competitive swings. You've gone through seasonality shifts or whatever in your industry that will impact you, maybe regulations. I don't know. But at three years is always that good point of like, here's what I'm really making. So there's a lot of time between zero and three. But I think in those early days, trying to understand what is my landed cost? What did I pay in tariffs? What was my shipping? Average that over your number of units. These are all things that you're just going to have to take your invoices, put them into a spreadsheet and, and just keep tabs on it. Is I think... The number of times I've sold a product and I've lost money has happened more than I care to admit, but that's not a sustainable model and you want to have more wins than losses. So I think anyone running their business, you absolutely need to know how you're making money. Yeah. Sorry. I think that's the only, how do you track of it? You just, you, you do, you just, yeah, I don't know. I have an ERP system now and an accounting team. So it's easy for me to sit back and say this, but I mean, Excel spreadsheet or even what is it? QuickBooks. There's ways. Three years. It takes three years. I mean, we were talking about this not that long ago in my office and it was like, yeah, it's like the, we, some of our clients try to do things where like every spring we're going to refresh our jacket or we're going to come out with a new thing. And it's like, man, when you do that, it just, it's cool. Cause you get that. Okay. You're in REI or you're in whatever other stores. I get it. But it's like from an a long tail play. It's like you're starting over every time. Those reviews, you have all this great credentialing in your listing. And then we're setting that off to the side and we're doing the next jacket. You know what I mean? So I just like, I, if you can get a core product that you can maybe create different variations, maybe it's the same jacket, but different colors. It's the same base listing. But if you're like completely new jacket, because now it was a hoodie and before it wasn't, I don't know. That's where it's hard. You're starting back from ground zero. Yeah. I know three years is a yeah. long time. <laughs> it's a long time, but that makes sense though, because it, you've consistently alluded to your best sellers and maybe the best sellers just don't change so much. And, and if you're in that sort of business where you can keep the best sellers going and other things can change, but maybe those aren't your, they're not going to be your best sellers or your core products. Exactly. And I think with Amazon too, the one thing I've learned is having a seasonal product is great. If you can balance that out with another seasonal product, I think if you're limiting yourself to a short selling cycle, so maybe you're selling just a winter jacket, that's going to be a tough one, right? Because you, you don't have that long of a season to really get that product out there. And then summertime, you're sitting down and holding onto bad inventory. So if you can find a good evergreen product that maybe has a longer tail of seasonality, like maybe it's a lightweight jacket, not a, so maybe dead in the summer, but yeah, it's, it takes a little while to get that, that flywheel going. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think that's a perfect lead into my question about what are some of the biggest mistakes that early stage brands make on Amazon? Yeah, great, great question. I think the theme I'm seeing a lot. So brands will come to our agency. Typically they're someone set their catalog up for them initially. And your catalog is just basically your, the basic product information. It's your 
your PC, your title, your description, but someone set it up improperly. And the amount of work it surprisingly takes for something so simple is amazing. So we'll spend 20, 30 hours trying to solve people's listings that were created two years ago that someone just made a mistake on. So I think the biggest mistake, and it seems so simple, is setting yourself up incorrectly. It seems like a very basic, like just add the image and put my brand name in here. But if you put the incorrect brand name in, or you added a, maybe you go by two different brand names, you can shorten it. Or for example, Lone Cone, some people would put a space in and then it would make it one word. Those became problems. So setting yourself up properly really would help you not only with just a good listing, but it's going to come down to search and discoverability and just the ability to have, if you have a larger catalog, build a storefront, good advertising, that base is so crucial to being successful. So I would say if you're going to do it if you're going to do it yourself, you can. If you're going to engage with an agency, I would really vet them and make sure that they understand your product and what you're trying to achieve so that you have a best outcome. Make sure you trust them, right? Like any relationship makes you, the person you're working with, you have a good, your spidey sense is good on them, you know? Yeah, that's great advice. I think it's not just, by the way, Amazon listings that get messed up in terms of the data. I've heard that story on so many platforms, actually. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. Universal, yeah. I mean, set yourself up for success, but it's easier. It seems like basic data entry, right? So you're like, I can do this. Man, there's just something that occurs where people make mistakes, and it's just, I don't know what takes it so long to get fixed, but it's just, it's a pain. So, yeah. Beginning. Sometimes it evolves over time too. You start one way and then you have more products, and now you realize that you need more descriptors, and then you don't go back. and Anyway, yeah. Oh, I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> All right. And then, so that that's one of the biggest mistakes, which I think is a good piece of advice. What's the kind of last, as we wrap this up, the last piece of advice you would give to founders who are really considering launching on Amazon? I think that the biggest thing is start. The beautiful thing with Amazon, it's highly responsive. You have information within 15 minutes on how something is performing. So especially if you're launching and whether or not you choose to make Amazon part of your long-term strategy, it could be such a great way for you to get a good read on how is your product performance? How's it resonating with the consumer? Just what's my return rate? I think you can troubleshoot a bunch of problems right out at the beginning. The second part of that though, is Amazon is become a much more expensive platform to operate on. And so if you enter it, it's not a get rich quick, like I'm going to get my money back in three weeks. I would really be very patient, especially if you are seeking investment or you are relying on other people's money to be, to, to get going. You could be three to six months at a break even, which seems like a big investment, especially if you have, if you're doing like a CPG product, you could be up against Clorox or Johnson and Johnson, right? And they don't care how much they spend on those clicks. So I would really be patient. So I would test and see but don't be quick to react. Give yourself a long-term strategy, really monitor your performance, what's working. And then just know there's going to be eventually a tipping point where your organic sales will start outpacing your advertised sales. But depending on the category, it can take some time. So I would say patience, but don't be afraid to start. So here's what I heard. Just start, make sure your data is correct from the beginning and set yourself up for success. Understand your margins, be patient. It can take three years. It could take, well, it'll take at least six months, but three years to have a solid, you're not going to be knocked off your throne, but yeah, yeah. That's good summary. Yeah. Amazing. So helpful. Annalisa, thank you so much for sharing your advice and tips on this podcast episode. I very much appreciate it. 
My pleasure. Thanks for listening to me. And thank you for listening to the Retail X podcast. We'll have another new episode out shortly. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about RetailX series, check out www.retailxseries.com for more information, including recordings of past events. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RetailX series. You could also learn more about me, find fundraising resources, or submit a pitch deck at www.redgiraffeadvisors.com. Thanks and catch you next time.